welcome to The Grog Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. All right, welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James, this is Dan. And this is episode two, where we're going to finish up the classes, the main classes in D&D. We're going to roll up another character, which to accompany Glades in her adventures uh, throughout this great campaign. Um, and we're going to talk about how to acquire spells and other thieves things. So um, maybe, Dan, you can give your understanding of what a class is and why classes are so important in first edition. Okay. So my understanding of a class is it's your profession. It's what you've been trained to do. So... Character says, okay, I want to become a fighter, I want to become a thief, a magic user, a cleric. They pick that as a profession, and they train, and after their training, they become a first level in that profession, and, and that's what they do, that's what they specialize in. It's like being a baker, or a lawyer, or an accountant. And it's interesting, because that is, uh, classes, is, I don't know if it's an invention of uh, Dungeons & Dragons or AD&D, but that idea of these skill sets that are wrapped together, and um, most of them are basically mutually exclusive in some in some cases. Uh, if you're a cleric, there are skills and abilities that you have that no other class can acquire, and that's been contentious. Other game systems don't do that. They allow you to build whatever skills you want, but in D&D, if you, have, if you want to be a cleric, these are the skills and abilities that you have, versus you can't pick from a list all these skills. So... Um, that was, I think it's an innovation because it allows you hopefully to build, um, it's, you know, these are the, their main archetypes that are built from these classes and that you can, uh, if you have this idea in the fantasy world of, oh, I want to be this person, there's usually a class within D&D that can ascribe to that. So what are the four main classes? So the four main classes are fighter, magic user, Magic cleric. user? Is it, isn't it a mage? Oh, no, it's magic user. Was it mage? Was it mage at all in basic or original D&Ds? I, I, I don't remember, but yeah, in, in, in first edition... It's magic user. And so if you hear somebody say mage... You know they're not playing first edition. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's magic user. So magic wizard, right? So what most people would call a wizard. That, that's right. And, and a thief, which... A lot of people now, right, just when you say you hear mage, you know they're more new school. You hear rogue. Right. You know they're more. So if you want to speak, first edition exactly. speak, it's not wizard or mage. It's magic user, and it's not rogue. It's thief. And we can talk a little bit more about the thief because it sounds terrible to be a thief. But right. It doesn't necessarily have to be so. Right. They could have just said criminal. You know. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I guess, uh, well, well, you can be Bilbo Baggins. Right, well, that's the is, idea. Is criminal? I guess he, they've all gone and thought he's a criminal, but that's a whole other podcast. Exactly. And so the, the I, I think the first one, fighter, is very easy to get your head around, you know, the Conans of the world, these type of things. Uh, uh, and magic user or a wizard or mage, you know, you think of Gandalf and others or Merlin, they're easy to get around. Thief, Bilbo Baggins. Um, cleric is the one that I've always struggled to find, you know, an archetype in in, his, in either history or uh, in fantasy novels or other f- works of fiction. So can, maybe you can describe what a cleric is in, in the case of uh, D&D. Sure, and I was wondering maybe Friar Talk, would he count as a... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, at least the persona of it, but the yeah. ability to... Um, 
you know, some of the powers that a cleric have up go beyond what's described in, in, in Friar Tuck. Uh, yeah, so uh, a cleric, I think a cleric's a very important class. And I think if you want to read up on the cleric, the Deities and Demigods book has a really good explanation of the importance of a cleric. And actually, that the cleric oftentimes should be viewed as the leader of the party. Uh, so, though I think it usually doesn't turn out that way. <laughs> now, a cleric, a cleric is a religious person. The clerics that are going to be playing the game, of course, are going to be adventuring clerics, as opposed to the cloister cleric who's just going to stay back at the temple. And so, a cleric is devout, have to have a deity. Right? I believe the only character class that it's essential you have a deity, a patron deity, because that's where you're going to get your spells from. And you really, my understanding is, you know, you're a bit of a zealot. You should always be proselytizing, uh, trying to convert people to your religion. And the cleric spells, generally the cleric spells are thought of as, as healing spells. And that, of course, is a very important aspect to the game. The other characters are going to want the cleric to use the healing spells a lot. But I think there's a lot more to a cleric. It's a lot of very interesting spells. Uh, but generally the cleric is casting spells that will support and heal uh, and increase the effectiveness of characters in combat. But what's nice about the cleric is the cleric is also probably after the fighter, of course, has the strongest fighting ability, right? right. Can wear a lot of armor. And so it's sort of this religious zealot with healing spells, but also good in combat. Yeah, the uh, army medic meets uh, army chaplain. Uh, meets soldier, so he has a combination of the ability to fight, uh, to help the other combatants, uh, either through healing or spells that will enhance their fighting, um, and also can fight themselves. Okay, uh, so those are the classes. What about subclasses? Uh, why do we have subclasses, and what's their purpose? Because they're cool, right? <laughs> okay. And so everyone right. can be one, right, right. essentially. Uh, so my understanding is... Um, you know, the subclasses are specialized types of the primary classes. So under fighter, you have the paladin, who I think we talked a little bit about last time, is this holy knight. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you have the ranger, which, of course, my character I rolled up last time is the ranger, which the, the prototype would be something like Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, uh, outdoors, good at tracking. And you have the illusionist, is a subclass of magic user, which, not surprisingly, specializes in spells of an illusion of illusion type. And you have underneath the uh, thief, you have the assassin. That's right. Uh, which have to be evil to be an assassin. So generally, I don't think you see too many assassins uh, in parties. Uh, and uh, have I missed any subclass? And the monk is not a subclass, right? That's the right. monk is its. A primary class. Yeah, it's monk and bard are two classes that um, are not considered core, but they are main classes. They're not subclasses. Oh, the druid, I forgot. The druid, that's right. The druid, a subclass of the cleric, which I think, as you noted last time, is essentially is a, is a neutral cleric. If you're a cleric and you're true neutral, uh, you're a druid. But a druid is uh, has a lot of the aspects of a cleric, but basically worships nature. Right, uh, out in the outdoors, right. and has a lot of spells that are geared toward the outdoors. It's, yeah, focused on uh, balance of of nature, and that all the alignments and all the creatures have their purpose in that. And so, um, 
you know, the challenge typically in the adventures is the evil creatures tend to destroy the forest, so the neutral uh, characters tend to align with the good characters, but that may not necessarily may not be the case. It, it's, you know, I've read articles and things about where, you know, if a population overgrows the forest and that's what they care about, whether they're good or not, they're still not happy about that. And, and you know, but typically druids tend to align with the good uh, characters, which doesn't necessarily need so to dru- be. So druids are green. Yes, druids are green. They're, right. they're they're for themselves and they're for the green, you know, they are they're definitely green. <laughs> they're the green party in many ways than one. <laughs> right. And we should point out, we talked about this last time that the druid because the druid has to be true neutral. Right. This of course, anytime I think of a limitation like that, I automatically think of the paladin, yep. which means that if you've got a druid in the party, you're not going to have a, you can't have a paladin if you're playing by the book in the party and vice versa. Unless of course, I think as you mentioned last time, they don't mention it, but I guess if you know they're a druid, the paladin's going to know that you're true neutral. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, and this is where uh, depends where you this what part of the canon of books you and material where you stop because obviously the first uh, the Monster Manual came out in seventy seven, and you know through nineteen eighty nine is when first edition ended twelve years, um, but typically you know Dan and I look at. Early '80s is when that's it, kind of first edition. It ended. In, it ended in 1985. You know? that, so that's that right. was on Earth Arcana, 1985. Oh, uh, yes, 1985. That's 1.5. I think you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's right. That is considered 1.5 to those who are not purists. But the idea of um, so the druid is neutral. The, the paladin must party with only uh, with good characters and only neutral characters one time. So if you're going to do that, the, the campaign would have to give a compelling reason why a paladin would continue to do that. Uh, it couldn't just be for convenience sake. And, and um, later things, Barbarian, which is a subclass that came out later in, in Dragon magazines, they couldn't uh, associate with magic users. But as they grew up in level, they were a little more tolerant of, of magic. So you could rule well... First level druids and first level paladins probably shouldn't get along, but older ones, if they understand the context of what they're trying to do. But clearly, rules as written is that's the way it is. So, you know, I've come, you know, when you look at a class, there looks like there's three basic uh, things that make up a class the, the, their ability to fight, how well of a fighter they are, because DD is a, is a role playing game. It's not just role playing and interacting and exploring, but combat is a big component. A lot of the, the abilities and things you can do are, are combat related. The next area is spells. If they have ability to spell, to cast spells, what, how powerful they are and what type of spells. And then skills, the skills that are associated with this. Um, some classes have very limited skills. They're basically fighters, for example, but others have a lot of skills. So uh, maybe you can kind of go over from your perspective, you know, which uh, of those three areas, which is the most powerful in those and which is the, um, uh, which is the one who's most deficient when it comes to that area. Oh, sure. So the fighter, obviously, fighting, of course. I mean, the fighter is going to be the character his, who's expected to be in the front line. And I think Gary Gygax talks about this when experience points are awarded by the dungeon master, mm-hmm. which, which we can talk about. The dungeon master should take into account whether or not the player has played their player character appropriate to the class. Right. So the fighter is expected to be in the front, doing the fighting, being the muscle uh, in combat. Uh, obviously, the fighter, unless multi-class, is not going to have any spell abilities 
Uh, and strength is going to be the most important thing for uh, the fighter. Uh, the cleric we've talked about, I like the cleric because it's sort of a hybrid. It's got spell casting. Right. also has good fighting ability. Uh, the magic user, of course, again, unless you're multi-class, it's going to be all about spell casting. And I think one of the things that frustrates players when they play a magic user in first edition is that at low level, you're pretty wimpy. Right. And I think if I recall correctly, Gygax said the DM should treat pretty harshly in terms of experience point the magic user who is getting into combat. So people like to joke about the magic user who never shows up when it's combat yeah. But I think that's, a, when you're low level anyway, and you don't really have any spells or many spells to use or use them up, you really shouldn't be in combat yes. as the magic user. Yeah, or, or they should be at a distance. They should continue to either throw something that's that doesn't put them in harm's way. Right, exactly. And uh, uh, intelligence, of course, is going to be most important for a magic user. Wisdom, most important for a cleric. Uh, and then uh, the thief, dexterity is the most important. The thief... Combat, not bad. Not as good as the cleric or the fighter, but better than the magic user. Right. Uh, no spell casting ability. I think until much higher. I, first edition, my characters never got very high level, right? So um, uh, or maybe I'm thinking the ranger gets some spell casting. Thieves yeah. at later levels, when we talk about their skills, they have the ability to uh, read languages and potentially magic scrolls. And the inference there is that they could actually uh, leverage them. Right. And so the thief is there to do something that's quite important in first edition AD&D, which is things like find traps. A lot of traps, tend to be a lot of traps in dungeons. Locate secret doors, secret passages, tend to be a lot of those in first edition D&D, climb walls. So the thing to keep in mind about the thief is don't think of the thief as just somebody who goes around picking pockets, though I think Gygax suggested when talking about experience points, the thief who doesn't sort of grab some extra treasure for himself or herself every now and then, isn't acting very thief-like, but the thief is much more than just picking pockets. It's engaging in thieving skills, which are very important to a party. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to combat, the fighter obviously is the best, then the cleric, uh, the third is thief classes, and the fourth is magic user. And part of that is the penalties that they receive if they use a weapon. So in Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition, if you're proficient with a weapon, you don't get any bonuses. But if you're not proficient with a weapon, you get penalties. Uh, Fighters have the most proficiencies, and if they use a weapon that they're not proficient in, they have the least penalties. And conversely, a magic user has the least weapons, They're they're restricted, and if they use something that they're not proficient in, they get the most penalties. And so on page 19 of the Player's Handbook, it talks about the classes, their armor, shield, and their weapons that they can use. So we've talked about that, and uh, but what about spells? You know, Because obviously spells is a huge component of Dungeons & Dragons, the, the casting. And when you look at each class, what's what level of spell casting ability do they have? Okay, so uh, the, uh, the fighter, of course, none. Uh, so for uh, the cleric, uh, and when you say uh, level of spellcasting ability... It's the prowess of being a spellcaster. Um, so uh, so being a spellcaster is going to be very different. So the cleric, and this is one of the things when I came back to playing you know, many decades later, I'd forgotten about. So the cleric, the nice thing about the cleric over the magic user is the cleric doesn't have a set list of spells. Right. right? The magic user is going to have only certain spells the magic user can memorize each day. And so what's going to be very important for the magic user is to find scrolls that have spells to build 
literally the book of spells. You're going to have a, yeah. have a book, right. a spell book, and to get as many spells in there as you can. Uh, the nice thing about the cleric is the cleric prays for his or her spells, and the cleric can ask his or her deity. And I know I think at lower level, you don't even have to ask your deity, but yeah. that, that, that's getting perhaps fairly technical. But you can get any spell, unless you've been bad, <laughs> you have not been following your religion, and your god is exactly right is uh, deciding not to grant you your spells, you can get any spells that you want. So the great thing about the cleric, assuming that they're of the appropriate level. So as a first level cleric, you're able to uh, have, assuming you don't have a wisdom bonus, you can get uh, one, I believe it would be one spell That's per right. day. That's right, you get one spell. But the nice thing is that he's asked terrible. Well, yeah, that is terrible. Get used to it. If you're a spellcaster in first edition AD&D, at low levels, get used to not having a lot of spells that you can use each day. But you can pick from any spell on the list of, a, of first level spells. And the nice thing about that I found is, as a cleric, and this is why I like playing clerics, and I never played clerics back in the day because also they're just considered the heal bots. Everyone right. looks at you just to heal and it's really boring. But I don't think that's, you, you can play in a way it's not boring. If, you have, if you've rested and you know you're going into a situation, the cleric can look at all the spells available and say, okay, what spell or spells are going to be useful to what we think we're facing today? So that's the nice thing about the cleric. Uh, the magic user, as I mentioned, you're going to have, you're going to start with certain spells, and we can talk about that, yep. right? Because uh, going playing by the book, you don't pick the spells, you that's roll right. for what spells are available, and then to make things worse, You've got to make an intelligence roll, right, a roll right. based on your intelligence to see if you're even smart enough to know that spell. And so you're going to have limited spells. They're, ba- they're going to be essentially chosen for you. And then you can each day pick from among that short list of spells. Yeah. Um, and that's basically the same uh, with the illusionist. Exactly. And uh, so... Uh, the, the challenge is, in, you know, I, many people have later, uh, as they've analyzed the game, and the game beca- became almost a study unto itself, uh, you know, the so, fighter is probably the most useful character in the early levels, but in mid and later, the magic user becomes the most powerful only because of the spells and the abilities that they have. Uh, primarily to wreak havoc on both enemies, to change the environment, to do all kinds of things. Uh, But that's where a lot of our modern games come from. This idea of fighters are in the front, they protect the party, the the clerics heal, the thieves try to go around the back and sneak around and do damage, and the magic user uh, controls or alters the battlefield based on uh, what spells they have and and being a very strategic player. So um, as you think about your characters, you know, what kind of character you want to do and what kind of, you know, so that's part of it. The other part is what kind of gameplay do you want? Do you want to be one who's constantly in the fight and the throw and having very simple things? I attack, I I move, or do you want to be more of a a tactician or someone who's going to be sitting back and and leveraging uh, the right spell at the right time? Uh, That's that's the difference. And then the uh, thieves and... Clerics kind of fall in between those areas. They have a little bit of both. So what about skills? Because that's an area that is you know, very interesting. They really don't say their skills in uh, first edition, but each class has some unique abilities that they can do. So maybe you can kind of uh, you know, talk about skills from the least to the most from the class perspective. 
Okay. Um, so when I think of skills, I mean, obviously the first class I would think of is the thief. Right. Because there's actually thieving skills. That's right. Uh, and you know, the player's handbook, right, is going to list out the thieving skills. That's right. And it, if you're a first-level thief, the skill percentages are terrible. Yes. Yeah, you have to get used to... What page number? 28. 28, thank you. You've got to get used to your skills percentages being terrible. So if you look on page 28 of the player's handbook... It lists the thieving skills, right? Pickpockets, open locks, find and remove traps, move silently, hide in shadows, hear noise, climb walls, and read languages. Read languages only starts at later levels. Uh, and this is your base percentage chance to do all of these skills. And so if you're a thief, you really want to read through the description on page 28 of these different skills to get an idea of what they are. Uh, and basically, you're, I think as a thief, you're looking for the opportunity to use, and you will be expected to use these skills. If there is a trap to be found, a lock to be opened, you as a thief are going to be looked at to do that. That's really what you are there for. But your percentages are really low. So get used to, you know, the DM tells you, well, in your professional opinion, there is no trap on this lock. Get used to, there. very easily you could open the lock and there could be a trap there. Right. Um, and that's, it's, it's just the way it is when you're at low level. And, you know, that is, uh, again, for those who are listening, who are coming from other games or other editions, later editions than Dragons, the, the point that Dan is making, that it is a Dungeon Master's, uh, the expectation of the Dungeon Master to really almost judge. It's, you're almost the, the, the teacher, and you're grading the performance of that. Later editions kind of go, well, if you were here and you went through this, they don't even give out experience points. A lot of times they say, well, if you've done too many, two adventures, you go up a level. Here the idea is, uh, depend, like Glades, are the character that Dan ro- rolled, she's a, a ranger uh, cleric. cleric. You know, So if, if she acquired experience points and only used her ranger abilities, the, uh, when she had enough experience to go up to the cleric, it may take her longer and cost more money to go up and level if I, as the dungeon master, uh, felt that uh, Dan didn't play the cleric side of it. So, and it almost talks about after every session, if I recall, that I'm supposed to, if I'm the yeah. dungeon master, track, okay, Dan's character, Glades, uh, played really well ranger, didn't do so much cleric, or vice versa. Um, and then average each of those sessions and then determines what the score is of that. So it's very important um, as a dungeon master, if you're going to want to have that setting where you're holding your characters accountable because um, there's a lot of reasons why they won't want to do that, either because you know pickpocketing, if you get caught, there's problems. You, um, if you're a, some fighters, they may get a powerful weapon that casts spells, and all of a sudden they're casting spells as opposed to fighting. You, you, the dungeon master's job is to kind of hold, hold them to their class so they don't start just becoming... Uh, because it's their their character is not just a collection of skills and abilities. They are a class. They are a profession, and that thus they have to adhere to it. It's almost like uh, the dungeon master has to remind them of their code of conduct. They they've signed up to be a fighter. Here's your code of conduct, code of ethics for a fighter, and they have to do all that. So, um, you know, and and on the page before twenty seven has a bunch of abilities. Their ability, you know, talks about their thieving skills, and then later. They learn how to decipher magic writings at tenth level, which makes sense because their uh, read languages starts to increase dramatically. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you pointed out page 27, too, because I think it's at 27 and 28. There's two yeah. separate parts where they talk about right. thieving skills, and, and I think then they're in the DMG, too. This, get right. used to that with first edition, which is that there's not just going to be one place to learn about thieving skills. There's going to be multiple places. Right. So that's what. So, so when I think of a thief, I think of you know someone who's hired on to do these skills, and I think the classic race for a thief is, of course, the halfling, yes. which in AD&D is the equivalent... Of a hobbit, which I assume they didn't use that for. I believe it was in the original D and D. They were calling it hobbits, and then they, they got a letter from a certain uh, estate so at I, the time, or maybe they, I think Tolkien may have been still alive. But so, someone reached out to them and said, "Hey, you're not licensed to do that." So right, and so uh, the ha- the halfling is essentially a hobbit, and so uh, the the nice thing about the reason I think people of course associate the halfling with a thief is of course Bilbo Baggins, I think, yeah. and also the nice thing about thieves uh, and, and halflings, and I want to note this, we talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast, is that Gary Gygax acknowledged that there was a typo in the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Halflings are listed as having a max dexterity of 19, and I believe a max, I'm sorry, a max constitution of 19, and a max dexterity of 18, Right. and he acknowledged years later that he hadn't realized that, that that was a mistake. It should have been switched around. On, if you look on page 15, yep. where it has the uh, the minimums and maximums of the races, it has a con of 19 for the halfling, which I think we all sort of thought was odd, and so it should be switched, said Gygax, and I play that way. Gygax says it was a mistake. I go with that. And so if you are a halfling and you play by Gary Gygax's correction, you then could have a 19 dexterity as a halfling, which would really make it nice to be a thief. Yeah, and it's interesting that he brought that up because I I kind of uh, ascribed halflings to like gnomes and dwarves and now we've really gone going down the rabbit hole. So th- because of their hardy creatures yeah. um, and they get, you know, if you look at them, they get plus one to saves versus wand, staff, rods, and spells uh, based on their constitution, 17. So there's an argument why it could be 19, but then you also have the thought of, well, they're really supposed to be the most dexterous. They're supposed to be the, the best for thieving. If you think of a, cl- of a race that is most attuned to being a thief because of the, the Bilbo uh, archetype, then the, you would think dexterity, the ability to be nimble, would be the highest attribute they have. So, 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 so what's by the book? Well, by the book, it's 18, the book. The, the, it's eighteen and eighteen. If we're going to go by random uh, quotes from some guy who's uh, yeah. you know ascribed to be one of the uh, creators of Dungeons and Dragons, which there's you know I'm sure there's consternation on, on the, Dave Arneson would have something to say about that. But uh, maybe maybe Dave Arneson wanted it to be that way. No, I'm just kidding because this is Gary Guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know. That's right. That's right. Uh, so so that's the thief. Um, in terms of the cleric, when I think of special skills of the cleric, I think of turning. Yes. Which uh, So turning is the ability of a cleric to repel undead. Right, mummies, skeletons, ghouls, gas—this whole undead class of creatures—by right. holding up his or her holy symbol. I'm assuming saying some something like "Go back to the shadows." That's right. The the, the power of compels you. You know, it's almost that exorcist's kind of moment where the holy symbol is presented and they say some injunction and and that the power of the deity based on the power of the, the cleric's affinity to the deity, also known as their level, gives them a higher chance of repelling these uh, foul undead. And my understanding is that the concept came from 
turning, uh, repelling a vampire with a cross, holding right. the cross up to the vampire is your classic situation. Uh, and so that's a very important skill. So if you are going to be facing undead in a particular adventure, having a cleric is probably a must. It's, it's certainly very helpful. So I think when I think of cleric, special skill, other than being the heel bot, yeah. I think of the ability to turn. Yeah, for first level uh, early adventuring, the ability to heal, to be a d- the second best fighter, and to and have some chance to get rid of many enemies, in this case undead creatures, with a roll. You know, a 12 skeletons or 10 skeletons against a first level party could be the end of them. But if, the, if, uh, if they basically have a 50-50 chance to repel a, num- a 1 to 12 of them, uh, just by a roll is a very powerful thing. So clerics and that turning ability um, makes a lot of uh, something that a challenge or an encounter that would have been very dangerous for the party uh, could be trivial or even uh, uh, non-event. Um, and so you know, uh, turning is interesting because it's a skill, but it's used in combat, and it's kind of a spell-like ability. So it doesn't kind of fall into them. But turning is a huge thing. And is this probably an appropriate time to bring up something I wasn't aware of back in the day, which is the fact that neutral clerics, there's no discussion in the player's handbook or the Dungeon Master's Guide about neutral clerics and the ability to turn. There's a reference to good clerics, which of course repel, think of his turn, and evil clerics, which actually have the ability to befriend. Exactly. Right? The turning is the opposite, I guess, of That's turning right. yeah. um, and repelling. It's to have them befriend uh, undead. Uh, and neutral clerics are not referenced. And I think most of us, certainly I did back in the day, just assumed that, well, neutral clerics would turn like a good cleric, but apparently uh, that was a matter of some contention. Yes, yes. Um, so what you found some information, because in your game, my character was a, uh, a worshiper of Dionysus, who's a, uh, at least in the AD&D game, is, is aligned to chaotic neutral. The, I guess drinking uh, a lot and acting crazy is chaotic neutral. Who would have thought? Right? I, was, I was reading up on Dionysus last night, actually. One of the few chaotic neutral deities mm-hmm. in the there's not that many in That's the right. dmg and i yeah i think it was this idea that when you drink who well, knows what can happen right we, i can love you man or i'm gonna kill you exactly yeah. That's right. So, right so um yeah i i was not familiar with back in the day with polyhedron the newsletter the magazine of uh, the role-playing game association and i certainly then wasn't familiar with the fact that the dispel confusion column, like the equivalent of a sage advice, was held out as official rules. And in the polyhedron, at first there was debate about what it should be, no position taken, and then in a later edition in Dispel Confusion, the writers of Dispel Confusion decided that lawful neutral clerics should turn as good clerics, and chaotic neutral clerics should turn as evil clerics, which makes it quite interesting because a lot of player characters are chaotic neutral. Right. And so then you wouldn't be turning as a good cleric, but as an evil cleric. Uh, my character, Otis, is chaotic neutral because his deity is, and, and it just describes, he's, he's, 
he's a functional alcoholic at this point. Is basically at 19, which is a tragedy. Uh, but it made for interesting because we had an encounter um, where we were in a first level dungeon from the 70s, which again is another story. We'll talk about why Dan's affinity to <laughs> to murdering his his uh, parties with old modules. But we're in this area, and I think there were two ghouls. How many ghouls were there? I can't. It may have been two. Right. So just for those who don't know, ghouls against four, five or six first level characters could kill the whole party because they have the ability to paralyze. And once you're paralyzed, you're basically uh, at the mercy of who's attacking you, and it could be curtain. So. Fortunately, my character was able to turn at a high enough level, and the reaction of the ghouls was was such that um, they joined the party. So we went from being a bunch of wimps to having creatures that fought way better than us, and it made quick work for a lot of the the uh, adventuring at that point. So yeah, and I was very sad that you then murdered them. Well, they, them over the bow. Well, they were. You had said they were not going to be loyal, that eventually they would break their binds, so they had to be... I couldn't let them run about the town. Mm-hmm. At least I was sober when I thought made that decision. Probably if I was... If you would have waited, I would have drank some more. Otis's character would have drank, and then he probably would have said that would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, it's the city-state. Of the so I see ghouls running around. Okay, so that's what I think of as, as clerics, their primary ability. Fighters, I don't see. Yeah, you correct me if I'm wrong. I, with fighters, I don't see any special skills other than that they are... They use a lot. They can use more weapons. They've got. We can certainly talk about rangers and paladins having, right. having special skills. But yeah. the fighter is just sort of he or she fights. Right. Or am I missing? No. They. The literally when you look at their uh, their text within the player's handbook on page twenty two, it doesn't even take a full column. The fighter. It. It gets. You are right. It doesn't even get. It doesn't even get a full page. It gets. Less than half a page, um, because the idea is they fight. So really, the only ability they have is at ninth level, uh, they may construct a, a freehold or a, a, a stronghold, and they can attract men at arms. They can become a lord of this, and that's another topic we'll have to oh, talk yeah, about: here. the uh, naming and and the idea of building a world where the characters that your players play in your campaign affect the world going forward by being part of it. But. Oh, that, that's not happening in my campaign. No, that's not. That's no. probably not going to happen. Don't join if that's what your yeah. if that's what your end game is. Uh, if your end game, well, <laughs> if your end game is to retire alive, yes, that is not. That is not. If you want to be part of the character graveyard, then oh, you can retire alive anytime you want. That's your choice. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's your choice. No one's preventing you. That's from, right. I'm, I do not prevent you from doing that. So um, now the paladin and the ranger right. get skills. A which, lot of skills. Which I think is, you know, I always thought it was interesting that if somebody rolls up some really good scores and they could be a paladin ranger and they say, I want to be a fighter, I always respect that person because right. they're, they're, they're not after all these, these skills, which I think is interesting. Uh, but so the paladin and the ranger, I think if you get the scores, most players who are prone to play a fighter would probably gravitate toward either Paladin or Ranger right. for the simple reason that you're going to get some cool skills that your allies wouldn't have. Uh, the Paladin, and I haven't played a Paladin. I've, I was never kind of a power gamer like that. I, I'm more the illusionist thief kind of guy as opposed to the Paladin. Rarely do I think you get a person. I either want to be a Paladin or a gnome illusionist thief. I'm a gnome illusionist thief guy. guy. But so the Paladin, my understanding is, and, and you could probably speak better to this, the, the great, there's a fair number of skills, right? Which right. is some protection from evil, I believe, right? That they right. radiate. Ten feet radius. So right there they are uh, get saving throw improvements and armor class improvements against evil creatures, which the vast majority of things you fight are 
evil in, if you're in a dungeon. It doesn't mean all of them, but a vast majority. So you uh, have a, a large advantage, and you provide that benefit to others. So that's a huge improvement. And I see here, and I'm just reading here on page 22, uh, where the benefits of a pound, they detect evil yeah. at up to 60-foot distance. And that's another topic for another day. Right, Random right. Random rules. They get benefits on, you mentioned, on the saving throws, immunity to all forms of disease. Um, and this is probably... Perhaps a nice period at low level, the ability to lay on hands, which is like a cleric yep. curing light wounds, essentially, right? You lay on hands and you restore hit points. Right? That's right. Once a day, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they can cure disease of any sort. Uh, so, And then at, at higher levels, they get more things. So, yeah, paladin, some nice skills with the paladin. Uh, but tough to play, I think. It, tough to play well. It's tough to play well if the uh, dungeon master holds the character, I mean, excuse me, holds the player to following some edict of the paladin. The, again, the archetype of Sir Galahad is the, is the archetype there of someone who has a quest for the Holy Grail um, and has to deal with a lot of moral conundrums and um, either dies, really a paladin should die horribly because they're a holy fighter. They should die horribly in battle because they're going to charge and save the day, or they should be fallen from grace because they have a moral conundrum and they don't pick the right way and their deity smites them for something. But, and then they, be- they become a fighter at that point. That's right. They would become a fighter. A lowly fighter. But unf- because we don't want to upset players that much, most DMs give them a little bit of latitude. And it tends to be... Uh, we also assume they're going to run into battle and kill themselves before, because the, they're you know this idea of glory in battle. Um, but uh, you know the challenge always is these moral conundrums. What would a lawful lawful good paladin do in the situation of uh, you? Cobalt children is the one that comes up, and again, old school, they are inherently evil. You, they're not redeemable. Cobalts are not redeemable. They can be murdered, put to the sword. You know, our, our modern thinking and some nuances of that, well, maybe they, if they were just raised with humans, maybe they would not be murderous killers at that point. So, uh, again, depends on your setting. And that's why the deities are so important uh, in alignment. If a paladin that's lawful good that doesn't have a deity doesn't make any sense, in my opinion, because the deity should be dictating, uh, you know, we will free the land of humanoids. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Kill everyone. Kill all the humanoids. Uh, you know, murdering humans that are defenseless, however, as a human, you should never be an issue. And that is one of the other restrictions. Paladins in first edition can only be human. There is no, no choice uh, up until that 1.5, which we won't talk about. Uh, yeah, so, and, and, and I remember a situation or one of the games where, you know, Edward, who uh, is, was a DM uh, in our group, we had a paladin who was thinking about basically killing somebody, a ranger, an NPC ranger, because the NPC ranger was, was a drunk and driving the party crazy. And I remember Ed did a timeout of the game and said, you're a paladin. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, what right. are you doing? <laughs> sort of a, you need to like correct this behavior. I'm going to do a timeout, you know, whatever. I'll, we're going to go off the record, but I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to the way you're... That would like Galahad and Strider are, are on the same party and, you know, Strider does something wrong and... right. The Galahad decides he's going to murder Strider. That just that that doesn't make any well, sense. Well, and you know, and I think it's fair to hold the paladin to that level of behavior because if you're a paladin, you're getting a lot of. We're talking about skills. Right. You're getting a lot of really awesome skills. You know what is it? With a great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. <laughs> so that that's the con of being a paladin. Um, 
so the Ranger, we talked a little bit about the Ranger last time because I rolled up a Ranger. When I think of Ranger, the skill I think of is tracking. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure there's other skills too that I should learn about, but it's tracking. And, and tracking, I think, is something that the ability to track, I think, is very important. It's not used as much. It surprises me that Rangers aren't using the tracking skill in some of the games I play in. Uh, as often as they do, uh, because it, it helps you figure out where the baddies went, how many baddies there are, right. and don't forget that tracking can even occur in a dungeon. So it is not only looking at the footprints in the dirt, it is also tracking in a dungeon. So I think that's a very nice skill. And and that is one of the skills, like Detect Evil that Paladin had, that are they can be either broken or useless, depending on the dungeon master and the player. Um, I agree with you. A lot of rangers either don't use it at all, they don't even think about it, mm-hmm. or they use it every five seconds. I want to track this. I want to track that. I want to track, the, you know, I want to know not only who was here, where they went, how long they were gone for. They want all this kind of information that gets rolled up into this. That You know, I, that there were 12 horses and 14 orcs and all these other things. So um, this is where, you know, using um, DM discretion to make it appropriate. What kind of role do they get? What's the circumstance? You really need to uh, figure out what makes sense because it can either become a broken skill or they don't use it at all. If you make it too restrictive where, oh, it's never useful, then people just forget about it. And um, so that's always the challenge with that. And and the nice thing about uh, the Ranger 2 is that, you know, the Ranger is going to get all those fighting skills in addition. And at some point... They're going to get spellcasting ability, yeah. right? They pick Minor up spellcasting. Is it yeah. druid spells? Start they... with druid at eighth level, and this is on page twenty-five. And then the next level, they start with magic user. So, I mean, this is why you know rangers um, by far are one of the most powerful. Uh, to the fact that you can only have three rangers and operate together at once, just in case everyone decided, hey, let's all be rangers, right. uh, because they have what. Uh, they get more hit points to start with on average. They, they're they great against uh, orcs and hobgoblins and what are called giant class. I'm doing open quote, air quote for the for the session. Uh, orcs and hobgoblins and those kind of creatures. Because giant class is a misleading term, right? Okay. So when people, right? Because when people say you yeah. get addition to the giant right. class, some of the creatures you were just describing don't sound like a giant to me, but you get, right? It is when they, the phrase giant class is used, right. it refers to a lot of the humanoids, not just giants. Yeah, it says when fighting humanoid type creatures of the giant class listed hereafter, and then the, in the player's handbook on page 24 lists these, and it was expanded as new monster manuals came out, the Fiend Folio Monster Manual 2. Uh, but so a first level ranger gets a plus one to damage for every level they uh, gets plus one to damage for first level against orcs and and uh, hobgoblins. So again, when you're talking, that's that's an additional damage. It's almost like fighting with a plus one weapon at that point. So it's a huge advantage. And I and I know that one of the issues that used to come up back in the day is why couldn't elves be rangers? Yes, people wanted to be an elven ranger because they saw the ranger as this outdoorsy character. And, of course, they saw an elf as an outdoorsy race. Right. It seemed like a perfect match. And half-elves can be rangers. Well, so in Sage Advice in Dragon Magazine, an explanation was provided. And I understand this is not necessarily Gary Gygax saying this. And so, you know, it's not canon. But I liked the explanation a lot, uh, which was that rangers are bloodthirsty. And I really like that 
that write-up on rangers. It really informed my thought about what a ranger is. A ranger hates humanoids, is bloodthirsty, is a killing machine, likes to kill. They're defenders of the borderlands kind of thing. Which is why you can't have too many rangers. That was the explanation given. It's why you can't have too many rangers in a class. You can. They need to be protecting the borderlands. Um, and so if they're all congregated, they're not doing that. If there's too many rangers together, something is not being guarded. Uh, and so rangers, because of that bloodthirsty nature, elves are not bloodthirsty like that. And so it just it isn't appropriate to have an elf be a ranger because they don't have that bloodthirsty nature. Whereas a half-elf, half-human has enough of that. Apparently humans are bloodthirsty. Yeah. We have enough. We are bloodthirsty. Shocking. History would not show that. Even even half of our, even being half human right. is your bloodthirsty enough. Right. So. As apparent from Glades and her homicidal images that she was portraying on the sides of barns, if I recall. From that, is, that is exact, that's exactly right. And did you learn what a, a limner was? Which, by the way, yes. I pronounced that correctly. So maybe that for those who watched the first episode, we had uh, we weren't sure what a limner was, but we figured it was part of painter because it said limner slash painter. So what is a limner? Well, I'm trying to remember, but I remember something. This is something, a painter of miniatures? Miniatures and figurines, yes. Yeah, some kind of... Sta- uh, yeah, basically... Uh, statues and figurines and painting of them. So you probably painted uh, various disfigured uh, uh, humanoids, decapitated and eviscerated, and and then put them in front of your pastoral scenes in front of the farm, possibly. So Glades is more disturbing than than we originally thought. It's hard to believe that I wasn't able to make a living on that, isn't it? Right. Why I making eviscerated tchotchkes for the the people who come to the small hamlet that you lived in. Particularly, particularly, particularly if there's just a lot of elves around. Right. They found that particularly disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. What are you half human? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're an outcast, and you're doing these homicidal things. What, what could be wrong? I think I'm going to go out into the root and just fulfill my uh, desires. So that's best, great. So there it is. So that's the ranger. Yep. Uh, let's talk about illusionists. That, okay. The other class, which is somewhat optional. I'm just kidding. Illusionists are fine. But what is what is an illusionist, and how do they differentiate from uh, magic users? So as a subclass, they're a specialized magic user, and so I I wouldn't say that they they don't strike me as stronger. So I think people want to be a ranger or a paladin because they're a better fighter. I don't think of illusionists as a better magic user. You need higher scores, mm-hmm. but I just think of them as different. They're going to have a different group of spells to pick from, uh, and the spells, not surprisingly, are going to be more centered around, they're not all about creating illusions, but they're going to be more centered around illusions. So I think if, you know, the nice thing about the magic user has some real offensive ability. Right. right? The magic user has some, if you get those spells, if you don't get them, you're out of luck. But the, something called the sleep spell is a tremendously effective right. offensive spell. Uh, and uh, I was trying to think there's another... Ma- oh, web. Web. Sorry. The web spell and sleep spell are really very potent offensive spells. I don't think the illusion has color spray, which, which can be fairly potent, but for the most part, I think the illusion spells are not very potent offensively. They are more about somebody who wants to engage in trickery and deception. Uh, but look, the illusionist, it's about as, I think it's as short as the fighter. No, it, no, it keeps it's going. a little bit longer. It's a little bit it's longer. It's not that long. It, it has a column and a half because you have the spell tables, right, on page 26. I'm not, I don't think, do you get anything, is there anything about the illusionist other than a different type of spell selection where you'd say, wow, yeah, that's awesome. 
I'm an illusionist. Right. Well, and this is why the people who play them, I've played them occasionally, but uh, you have a definite affinity to them. So there must be some masochistic trends because it says even in the book, page 26, while being equal or even slightly inferior to normal magic <laughs> users in most respects, illusionists have different and highly effective spells to employ. So they're terrible, but they have some advantages. Okay. So go ahead. I, I'd love to hear your rationale for playing. Well, them. no, no. Here's the deal. And I think most people agree with this is an illusionist is as effective as your DM is willing to let but your illusionist true. be, right? So, and we're gonna, we should just do a whole podcast on illusionists and, and, and that, just in honor of the fact that you like them. It'll, yes. I'm going to write that down for well, illusionists. Like, and, how, uh, and that has to come past uh, when we talk about uh, rules as written, rulings, and house rules, which is a podcast we're going to have to do because I know your aspiration in mind is always to follow the book as possible, but eventually you have to bleed into rulings where the text is not clear, and then you go into house rules. And so we really need to have that differential discussion because that kind of bleeds into the illusionist. But you're right. Go, you know, The DM, if they are not, it's kind of like with the detect evil or the tracking. If the DM goes, no, 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 it doesn't work that way, the illusionist is pretty inept. Exactly. So, you know, if you've got a, if you have a DM that's a fan of illusionists, then when you say, okay, I want to cast this illusion and try to convince these baddies that the following is happening, you know, your, your DM is going to have discretion over whether or not, I know there's dice to be rolled, but generally how effective an illusionist spells are is going to be dictated by how amenable the dungeon master is to the illusionist class. I think, in, in, in most people's opinion. Right. So if, if you may, I don't know, is it inappropriate to ask your DM, hey, what's your views on illusionists? You know, or, or maybe just, I don't know, go out for coffee and just like, hey, illusionists. Yeah, what's your thinking about that? Right, because you got to kind of do it on, on the sly uh, and find out. And if they love illusionists, they played illusionists, it's a great class to play. Um, they can be very effective, particularly not necessarily in combat, but in non-combat situations where you're trying to get some information, get somebody to think something, I think they can be very effective. So I think they're a lot of fun to play. It's not surprising that somebody who say would want to be a gnome, so the gnome illusionist thief, if someone wants to be a gnome, it's because the gnome characters, they like to, they engage in trickery, things like that. And so if you like being a gnome, good chance you like being a gnome. It's for the character who likes a lot of role-playing and, and solving problems, not in the, hey, I'm going to go in there and, and engage sure. in a lot of combat. Sure. So if you want to combine inferior with a redundant and put them together, uh, that's what a gnome illusionist is. This is a class for you. Right. It, it, it's three times. Gnome illusionist thief is already going to be like three. Right. Right, irrelevant. Well, actually, the thief's not relevant. Well, the thief has is is more relevant than the other two. But when it comes, a thief also does kind of fall into that. If the dungeon master has straight encounters, no traps, doesn't allow for sneaking around, that you're in a dungeon, there's not a lot of pickpocketing. The thief's abilities get do get diminished. It, Absolutely. And and if they don't allow the thief to sneak attack or move silently or all these other things, and they basically get caught at the time. Thieves, people who play thieves can get very frustrated. So yes, a thief illusionist who wants to trickery and sneak around, they are the dungeon masters. Uh, they can either be their bane or, or a fun part of the game. Uh, and, I think they're annoying, but that's okay. And if I can mention something about the thief, because I mentioned it last time on the podcast, and I wanted to clarify something. We talked about how thieves have to be neutral. We're talking about you can be neutral good. Right. I just wanted to mention that, of course, 
a thief could be evil. Yes. But the reason why I didn't think about that was simply because in most adventures, the DM is probably going to outlaw evil characters. It really complicates things. So that's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking evil characters because you typically don't have them. But of course, a thief can be evil. Well, and that's alignment. We'll, ha- we'll definitely have to do a podcast on that and, and how you deal with it because um, there's the mechanics of the game, and we'll talk about that in the, in the, in the next segment when we're done. You know, how do you handle um, these, these game playing aspects? while in front of the table with other people who depends on the party if the party is really there to work together and not and keep their characters open that's fine but some some people don't want other people to see it because they have some role-playing aspects so uh it would be very hard to have in the way we're playing to have uh evil characters because the rest of the group would know about it and if i even also about thieves too i think you alluded to this in combat a nice skill that the thieves have is the ability to backstab. Yes. Right, which of course I think you do need a DM which is going to be amenable to allowing your thief character to get in position during combat to backstab. But if you can do that, then the backstabbing, um, if you hit, right, I believe at lower level, it's, it's double damage. To the dice roll, that's correct. To the dice roll, which can be very effective. So the thief, if the thief can get into position, can also have a very effective ability in combat. Right. As well, they can they go from being not great to su- almost as effective as a fighter. Uh, and if I get back just for a second, sure. Magic users and and the skill of magic. We talked about spell casting. One of the things that could play an interesting role with magic users and spell casting and illusionists as well and clerics, any spell casters, is whether the DM is going to require you to have your spell components, which I know is oh yes by the book, right? Certain spells, right? There's three aspects to a spell. There could be three aspects to a spell, right? There is you know the movements that you have to make, what you have to say. And then it could also be material components. Right. And I think back in the day, and even now, spell components is one of those requirements that many, many parties and DMs ignore. It become a pain to deal with. Uh, but that, but if you play with them, I think, I think they're fun. Um, I think you've got to have players that want to use them. If the DM is always forcing you to say, where's your spell components? And the players don't like that. It's a waste of time. But a lot of the spell components can be fun. Uh, you would have to go out and buy them. You would have to collect them. You'd have to have them. If you know your backpack falls in water and your spell components are ruined, then you can't cast your spells. So that's another aspect of the game uh, that you want to think about when deciding when you're going to play and when you're going to have magic users if you're going to use spell components. Sure. I think the last subclass we have is under Thief at this point. The Assassin. Right. What could the, what could the Assassin's special... Ability based. Um, I, I wonder. I'm not sure. Uh, though it's interesting because it has over a page and a half, and it's probably one of the least, besides Monk, uh, as you go from page 28 to 32, you have four pages within this player's handbook. And I would say both of those characters, uh, as far as what I've seen in actual play, they're the least used because uh, of the challenges of assassins, which again, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to do. Apparently, they are a subclass of thief, and they're basically just as thieves do. They get the same dice. Uh, they are evil in alignment, per, per force, as the killing of humans and other intelligent life forms for the purpose of profit is basically held as the antithesis of wheel. Hmm. So I guess they kill people. 
Yeah, and I think the reason I think there's two reasons why you don't see assassins in campaigns a lot. Number one, they have to be evil. Yes. Right. So right off the bat, that's causing complications. Moderate evil. <laughs> I assume they can be moderate evil. There's no alignment moderate evil. No, it's an if, joke. if we if you write down moderate evil, your dungeon master will be very confused. So don't don't say don't I'm just moderate, moderate evil. evil. Yeah, I'm just a little. Evil. I want to be an assassin, but it's okay because I'm just a little moderate. Evil. Yeah, 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 moderate evil. I I, I I have evil tendencies, so they you have to be evil, and so that's a problem. Usually, they're not going to fit in with the rest of the party. And secondly, they're built to assassinate. And unless the mission is, let's kill the Archduke, you know, I mean, generally that doesn't, it's a skill that's not terribly helpful uh, because you're doing so much more than just setting out just to kill one particular baddie. So, yeah, so you don't see assassins. I've never played an assassin. And it's, well, but it's interesting that so much work was put in here and about the, you know, one of the most fascinating tables for, for me is page 29, minimum fee for assassination. And the level of victim versus the level of the assassin, how much you're going to get paid. So, you know, what kind of games were uh, TSR, the company that was here, were running that someone had built this class and said, hey, we need to, how much does it cost to assassinate a fifth level ranger? Well, I don't know. We'll need to come up with a, a chart for that. And that, you know, we tend to think of Dungeons and Dragons as a heroic endeavor. That, you know, a bunch of good guys, they go fight the bad guys. But clearly, somewhere playing this game, you have a groups that play evil characters who assassinate other people. And, and I've never really played that way. We've had evil groups, but not to the role-playing level of, we're going to work on assassinating the prince. And we're going to come together and come up with the job of that. So I wasn't sure if you've had any experience or any knowledge of, you know, how we've kind of... Uh, the game has moved towards hero, even when we played it, when clearly there was more of a uh, an opportunity to do evil uh, ca- campaigns. Well, and this is probably a- another podcast too, but I-, I think that there's two types of campaigns. There's what I think of as the Lord of the Rings type campaign, yeah. the good party, and then there's a grittier campaign, more, you know, that I would think of, say, I don't know, like a Fafford and Greymouse. Like the city-state, though, right? The city-state, a little grittier, where you are neutral. Um, and so the fact that you're evil is not a big deal. There's evil carry, you know, there's evil NPCs, you know, there's goblins walking down the street in the city-state. And so it's just a different vibe. I think the assassin is there for the DM to use the assassin to kill off the uh, the player character who's uh, a pain. Okay. And just if you do it enough times, they get the uh, they get the message. So that could be a, a, a someone that joins the party. Correct. If that's there, that's Bob. Who's Bob? Don't worry about Bob. He's he's just a thief, and he just kind of hangs just out. Just a thief. Back. Right. I'm just a thief because assassins act as thieves are at two levels lower. I think just like monks. Is that correct, or do they, do they use their same skills as that? I keep forgetting. They, it takes a it takes a couple levels, doesn't it, to get your thief skills? Yeah, I think so. There's something I think they operate at two levels below, I want to say. kind of like the monk as well, I thought. Yeah, so you're going to get some thief skills. But, uh, no, I don't I don't, I don't think. I've, I've never had a campaign with it. Yeah, but, so, so they, 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 a lot of times in the modules, if there's an assassin, they always try to uh, play themselves off as being a thief. No, I'm just a thief. What are you talking about? I'm perfectly fine. If you're joining a new game, this is just a tip. You don't know the players. You don't know the DM. Your opening line really shouldn't be, can I play an assassin? Right. You, you need to scope out the group. I mean, it may be great. Maybe that's awesome. 
But I think that's not a good first line. Or if you really want to see where your group is, say I want to play a gnome illusionist assassin or something to that effect. Or even just a gnome illusionist thief. That right. alone. That, that, yeah, that's that, worse than assassin in many groups. That could be eye-rolling, but if you went with the uh, gnome illusionist assassin, which again is, I'm, I'm not sure if that's one of the multi-classes here, but I know in future... No, I do not there's so. a, there's no. a There's a cleric assassin... Uh, oh, the half orc. Yeah, the half orc cleric. Yeah, go for that. Say you're a. You, I want to be a cleric assassin. That you'll see if people uh, uh, are concerned about you. You'll see what happens. I can help you out with that. You say I want to be the half orc cleric assassin, but I want to have neutral tendency. You got to water it down. You got to. That's you, right. You know, there's things you can do. I'm evil on off days. Right? Yeah. There's, not, it's not every day. I can help you out with evil trying on to weekends. get that through. So now the monk. Yeah, it's not really a subclass. It's not. But it, uh, to me, it kind of is. So I think uh, martial arts. Right. Which is, of course, exactly what I think of. When I think of a monk, right. I think of martial arts. But this is the adventuring monk. Yes. When I right? think of swords and, and chivalry and Lord of the Rings, I think of David Carradine appearing in the milieu uh, with, with some kind of robe on and using martial arts. So the character... I never quite got it when I was younger. I always thought it was cool to have it in mm-hmm. there. Um, but just, you know, it was always a challenge to take that kind of... The way it's described in here, it's not a monastic monk from the Western tradition. It's more of that Eastern style because of the martial arts component. Uh, and then, you know, I, I assume in the 70s, you know, the, uh, Bruce Lee and all the other fighting movies were very popular. So they like, well, we got to have a monk. Um, and again, this is where... Uh, fortunately, at least in the first edition one, they're, they are so so much of a challenge to play, very few people play them because they don't do a lot, they have a lot of negatives, and they die easily. Well, and you know, it's interesting you say that because the first line underneath Monk is, of course, what is going to make every kid in the 80s want to play a monk. Right. Unlike the reference to illusionist, where basically you're weak and pathetic. You're sad, you're terrible, why would you play this? Right. The monk is the most unusual of all characters, the hardest to qualify for, and perhaps the most deadly. Who wouldn't want to be that? Right. right? It holds out great promise. Uh, but there's a lot of different skills. There's thieving skills. Right? For the monk has thieving skills. So, and it's got this open-handed combat, which right. in higher levels can be quite... I mean, we went up against an NPC monk. Right. Which is a higher level and really was causing us some real problems. I can't remember the adventure. It was causing some real problems. So, uh, but so th- some people may find them kind of cool. Um, but the monk is hard to qualify. You need really good roles so you don't see that many monks. And, yeah, the last one is the bard, which we won't even... Do you want to go over the bard real quick? I like... Uh, yes, I like... You know, like, I like the I know a lot of people don't like the bard. The bard, you got to go all the way back. It's in an appendix, right? Hidden back there. Appendix 2. Appendix 2. What page is that? 117. 117. You, you would have thought the book was over. No, I'm sorry. There's a couple of appendixes that, uh, again, it just, the, the mens rea, the mindset of the people who played that thing. You know, you have ass- assassins murdering people. That's in the main part. Uh, people who play lutes and inspire people and go from taverns and fights. No, that's not in there. You know, that's not in there. So... Tell us what a bard is. Well, see, you're, you're talking to the guy who want, likes playing Gnome Illusion Thieves. Who wouldn't want to play a character whose first level title is a rhymer? A rhymer, And at right. second level, I can move up to lyrist. Lyrist, that's right. And there's a, is that a loot? That is. Is that a loot? I believe that's a loot on page 120, 117. So who wouldn't want to play that? I think it looks awfully cool. A bard 
Though where the Bard hard to qualify, not sure worth it though. I, I don't recall the Bard. It's it, it's very unlikely you'll actually play the Bard because the way the Bard works in first edition is you have to start as a fighter uh, for a few levels. Then you move to thief and you have to be in that for a few levels. Then after you do that, you become a Bard. And most campaigns peter out you know, by the seventh or eighth level, it's really hard to keep momentum. Either people get tired or the dungeon master gets tired. They go to college, they, they get married. To, right, life happens or someone else, the, the dungeon master gets tired of the people doing silly things and he, he or she gives up. So, you know, it's unlikely you will get to a bard, but the if you do, like the monk, uh, if you're a first level, the uh, crazy thing is if you're a first level a bard, you can have, you know, 70, 80 hit points because you've gone through fighter and you've gone mm. through thief mm-hmm. uh, and you start getting druid spells. You really are kind of the best of all worlds. The, the challenge is to get to that point. Yeah, so I, I thought the bard was interesting, but you don't see that many bards. And the bards, right, as part of the appendix, my understanding is that the bard is considered optional. Right. The DM, so you have no entitlement as a player to play the bard class. Right. The DM has to permit it. That's, that is correct. Okay. Uh, or I would say it this way, yeah, that that is right, and and but the DM has obviously final ruling on all uh, items, pretending on their their campaign, though they should have good reasons why, for instance, monks don't exist or something like that, because they are part of the standard offering. Right, there's a presumption you're going to be able to be those. There's yeah. no presumption you get to be a part. And that's you know for when you create your own campaigns, that is an area that you definitely want to. Th- think strong about if you're going to restrict things why are you restricting them because people have an expectation they're playing Dungeons and Dragons first edition they're not playing some uh, one-off that you've you've kind of changed so much that people don't recognize what what it is so did you want to roll a character and roll a let's uh, build another character so that uh, we can see the maybe use some of the other subclasses or classes when it comes to this yes I would definitely like to do that I'm ready to roll some dice and we talked about last time after our podcast already have a cleric ranger, so right. we've covered the cleric class and a subclass of fighter. Right. So wanted to have a character which covered the other two classes, so we were thinking about I'd roll up a magic user thief. Yeah. But then I thought about it, and I said, well, if I'm a magic user thief, I believe I have to be, what, an elf or a half-elf. That's right. And I already have a half-elf character. Thought we'd have some diversity in terms of the races that uh, we're here playing. We go. Here we go. And I knew it would really annoy you. Yeah. That was really the main reason. Yeah. There's other stuff I just sort of was right. coming up with after the fact. To annoy you, I said, look, gnome illusionist thief. This is going to cover all the classes. We'll have a gnome. And, and who, when you think of two people together adventuring... Who doesn't think of an half-elf cleric ranger teaming up with a gnome? Homicidal. No, exactly. No, really just right? I mean, this right. is clearly a match. Well, the other expect. part is, while we assume you're going to try to roll that, the dice oh. determine whether you'll get a gnome. Always the, D, the D, always, see, he's DM. James is DM much longer than me, mm-hmm. so he's, that's right. There is no entitlement. There's, and, there's no presumption of what you're going to roll. Now, my understanding is the way it works by the book is if I don't get the rolls I want, I can just roll again until I get the rolls I want. Is that, is that correct? No, that's, that that's, was not no, right? No, that's, that's not correct. You keep the character. <laughs> now you can, you know, if he's a hope, he or she's a hopeless character that would have no chance of surviving, which we talked about last time. Right. Um, the only thing you could hope for is, again, maybe manipulating the dice. Once you realize you don't get the scores, you could give yourself two fives and then your character would not even... Uh, 
qualify for a class. That's but right. If it was a hopeless character, and unfortunately, Dan, in your in your campaign, you've allowed rangers with three hit points, clerics with two hit points. So I really don't know wow. what the bar of hopeless character is at this point. I feel like any character you would would, would uh, create is not hopeless. So I'm looking forward to seeing you roll your character yeah. and hopefully getting what you want because that would be disappointing if you did not yeah. get a gnome illusionist. I'm, sh- I'm sure that would be disappointing to you. All right, let's do it. So right. I'd like to know what the bar is. Oh, okay. Right? Because I'm going to need to get a 15 in intelligence and a 16. I'm on page 26. Right. So when I'm ang- as a thief, it's going to be easy, right? I mean, I need a minimum dex of something, right. but that'll be easy to satisfy. Uh, so what I'm going to need is scores to make the illusionist. So I need an intelligence of 15 and a minimum dexterity of 16. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, if I recall correctly, my age adjustments are not going to help me. Not with this one, no. Not with this one. So it's going to be tough. Um, and I'm a gnome, and I don't get any racial adjustments. That's not going to help. Right. I'm going to pick method one again, of course. That's right. Uh, and, and method one is going to give me a higher chance in some, than at least two of the other ways because I'm going to be able to put my scores in whatever attribute I want. So if think about it. If you're rolling with one of those methods where you have to – your score is in the attribute that you roll it. You don't get to arrange it. Method three is the one I prefer. Boy, it's getting really hard to say you get an illusion. It would be right. pretty unlikely that you get what you want if you want to be an illusionist. All right, well, let's roll it. I almost figure if you like shake them more, it increases right. the chance of a better roll. Sh- is that true? Uh, no, I think the better roll is if you try to put the roll down. You know, almost cheating, but you're not. Gonna oh, that's a good point. That's not right. not making it random. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. That's right. <laughs> this is the worst that's way to right. do it. Making it more random is worse are, for you. Are some of your dice better? Some dice they say sh- some are actually better from the inside, yeah, right? I'm, the way I'm, they're. Weighted. I'm sure some of them are, right. are, are. My initial dice is usually pretty good. Oh, oh. So that's an eleven. Oh man. That's not very good. Yeah, James is happy. Oh no, that's a that's an eleven. What you know? This is a true winning experience. I love that's it. Right, I'm not disappointed. You could be a gnome thief. I always thought it'd be interesting, to be like a gnome fighter. Why, you know, if you're a fight, you know, why do people play these unusual combos? They never do, right? You know, the halfling's always the thief, right? Or you know, why can't you be a halfling fighter? Like Pippin or whatever. Well, that's what Dave's character plays in our game. That's great. It's 11. See, he's a fighter it. thief, but he's... See, I appreciate that. He's what is that? Uh, it's 11. This is three eleven. You've got a three, You've got a trend. I feel like we're in... A, what are the odds of making it through an asteroid thing or whatever that's at this right. point? I would give you the odds. What? Yes. yes. There's one. 17. All right. There's hope. I feel like it's the fourth quarter now, and now I'm you... down by like two touchdowns, but I just scored. And, you well, know. that was a good one. Now you need a 15. All right. Uh-oh. Uh, 11. <laughs> All right, so one more. So I need a, I need a six. What do I need? No, I need a 15. You need a 15. Oh, come on. Oh, oh, that's a 12. All right. You know, it wasn't meant to be. I think you actually have better scores than your previous character. Yeah, who's up? Because you have a, he has only fourteen. Glade she only has fourteen. Okay, well that is very disappointing, but um, that's a lesson out there for everyone. You just it is what it is with one right. So I guess if I want to be, we want to have the magic user thief. I believe we'd have to look this up, right? But I believe it's half elf, half elf or elf. That's it. Well, let's be and 
I'm sorry we don't have a human, because we talked about being human-centric, but since we want to cover all the classes and we're only going to do two characters, right. that's not going to happen. So I will be, I'm going to be an elf. Very nice. Magic user, thief. So, I'm, and I'm using, you yeah. see this? I'm For using, those who are on our uh, screenshot... You you see a very uh, a, a goldenrod isn't that the name? Goldenrod is the color oh. of the paper. That's right. Goldenrod advanced advanced Dungeons and Dragons player character record from back in the day. And I think this this is actually this is not a photocopy. Right. I see this the perforations. This is the real deal. I erased. I used this one because I bought it online. I'm erasing Vermithrax, the Bard. Wow. Yeah, Vermithrax the Bard, uh, and I've erased it. I got these off of eBay. And, okay, so I'm going to be a uh, magic user, thief. thief. That's right. I'm an elf. That is correct. If you want to play those classes, you will have to be... Level 1-1. One, one. And I want to have... So, oh, I'm a thief, which means I've got, right off the bat, I've got alignment restrictions. That's right. In play. And I've got a neutral good cleric ranger... And, you know, I think this is going to be fun because this is going to be, I think I'm going to be chaotic, neutral. Okay. You know, elves are chaotic. Yes. And these are neutral. So I think this makes sense. I'm not just doing this so I can do whatever I want because I think there's going to be a lot of fun alignment tension. Right. Alignment tension. neutral good ranger with a chaotic neutral. Right. A magic user thief. And And they could be potentially related in somehow. That's true. Some distant cousin or something to that. They, I, when brother and sister may be problematic because he, he may be, or we're not sure, this character may be much older than the other character. Well, that's the other true. Right. 48. Right. So now I need to place these. Obviously, anytime you have a multi-class character, you're going to have to decide where you want to put your highest score. Right. Because part of me would like to say 17 for intelligence because I'm a magic user. The other part of me wants to say 17 for dexterity because I'm a thief. So I guess I have to sort of decide, do I want to be more magic user, user-ash? Right. Or do I want to be more thievish? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to go with intelligence of a 17. Okay. What's that going to do for me? Uh, well, just from a 17, you have the ability for six additional possible languages, which we talked a little about last time. You will have a 75% chance to learn spells. That's useful. And you have eight minimum spells per level. So no matter how you roll, you will end always end up with eight minimum spells and a maximum of 14 spells per level. So in your spell book, if you were to acquire 20 spells, you could learn 14 of them. And if you rolled somehow horribly, you would still have to have a minimum of eight spells that you would be able to memorize. Okay. As far as the ability to memorize. Now, the amount that you can memorize every day is based on your level, which is another topic for when we actually do spell, how spells work in first edition. Okay. Do you have a name for your character? Yeah, so it's going to be Pixie. Pixie, okay. If it's P-I-C-K-S-Y. A pixie as, as in like a pick. C. Exactly. I got it. Pixie Spellbinder. Pixie Spellbinder, I like it. 
Pixie and Glades. So you, so you, <laughs> that's right. So you see in there, you see what I'm doing there, that's of course, don't you? Right. The multi, okay. Multi-class it's, Pixie Spellbinder. Right? And it's better than our old characters who would be either they'd have Bob or generic or some kind of sexual reference. So this is way better. The, pro- the problem, though, with my name, though, of course, is when I meet anybody, if I give my real name, like, oh, say you're a magic user thief. Right. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But whatever. Okay. So what should I do next? Oh, uh, I've got well, my alignment. Well, because you picked elf, you have elf. Unlike half elf, does get a racial adjustment. Oh, that's right. That's right. So you do get plus one to dexterity and minus one to uh, constitution. Oh, that means I could have had an eighteen dexterity if I'd wanted it. Okay, and I roll for age. That's right. So now uh, we'll roll for age to see where we're at with that. Let me go pull up the Dungeon Master's Guide. This this time will go much faster. If you have more exp- want more explanations, please go to our first podcast. Um, yeah, there's nothing more exciting than listening to two guys roll up a character's age. <laughs> Is there anyone listening at this point? Does anyone care? No. No, but we Nobody do. cares. That's right. And that's what matters. So uh, let's see. Age... Trying to find where wherever is. you post this, you please post this where no one can comment. Okay, well, I think they can, that would be awesome. All right, so we said for multi class characters, use the columns which develops the highest age and use the greatest possible addition to the base age. So, elf magic user is 150 plus 5d6, so 5d6 would be 30 plus 150 is 180, and you're a thief, which is 100 plus 5d6, so you are 180 years old. And, you know, that's the one problem with these first edition character sheets is there's a lot of stuff on here. Right. It would probably take me some time to find... Oh, no, there it is. on the back age. How old am I? 180? You're 180. Oh, I love this. Next to it, it has a parent age. That's right. You could keep track of your whole lineage. It's like Ancestry uh, 23 and Me without the genetics. That's awesome. And when I, you know, my favorite part of the one E character, you know, my fa- what is my favorite part of the one E character sheet? Uh, the will, of course. Right. So will. That's an inside joke too. Nothing says that. Nothing tells you more about what, that alone. Tells you everything you need to know about the spirit of one E. Right. Is that the last thing you need to write on your character sheet? Is what happens if you die? Yes. And you know what the problem? But here's the deal. It's irrelevant. You know why it's irrelevant? Mm. You know why your wills are relevant. Because they're just going to loot your body and take your stuff. Exactly. As your, as your character is falling to the ground, the other party members are stealing their stuff. They're not even waiting. And you know what's wrong about that? Is even the lawful good characters That's is right. participating. Uh, the lawful good yeah, character no, isn't no, like, no, hey, no. does he have a will? Yeah, no. <laughs> we have to adjudicate his, his last wishes as they're sacking, as the coins are flying they, out. They will be talking about looting you. They, the other party members are not going to care that you're dead. Right. They, they will immediately just move into looting your character. Yeah, your corpse is not even cold. Yeah. Now I have a question for yes. you. And, and I, are you, because in here under age, uh, you have a couple of choices. Are you a high elf or are you a wood elf? Oh, you know what I am. What are you going to be? I'm a high elf. Of course. Listen, the player's handbook. Okay, now this is a matter, I think, of some contention. Right. The player's handbook says, if I recall correctly, all elves have to be high elves. Mm-hmm. But then there's references, right, to the A, all these different categories. Right. And I think the, in Sage Advice, which I know isn't binding, said something about, well, if you play another one, blah, 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 suggests you play another one. Uh, I always 
I never saw an express change in the DMG to where the player's handbook says all player characters are high elves. So I believe by the book is right. you've got to be a high elf. That's right. The elven player characters are always considered to be high elves, the most common sort of elf. So I'm a high elf. Yes. That's yeah, I'm going to be a high elf. Wood elves are more whimsical or something crazy. You can like be that. a mountain dwarf. That's by the book, right? right. You don't you, dwarves can be dwarf we didn't talk about this. You can be uh, I guess a regular dwarf or a yeah, mountain dwarf. dwarf. I think is what they're called, or like a normal dwarf, or or a mountain dwarf. And halflings can. There's three types of halflings. Yes, it actually does make a difference for improvision. Right? Yes, but it's harder to be some. So being a high elf, you are just mature at 180 years old, which means you uh, you cancel out the wisdom penalty and bonus. You get one point of constitution and one point of strength. Very nice. So we've remembered to do the additions for age and for race. Oh, and we should check out. I think I'm going to be just fine. But it's something that people often forget to do is we should make sure on page 15 that I've satisfied for elf both the minimums and the maxes. I haven't exceeded those. So if you look at page for elf, and I'm going to be male. Pixie's going to be... Male. Okay. There's not don't no romance. Don't go there. There's not many romance between these two. Okay. I don't think anyway. They're related. Right. Well, did, maybe. Maybe. They know there's romance, and then they learn who's, they're related. Who's uh, Pixie's father? We don't know that. You didn't write it down, so we have no idea. There could be a common lineage. That could be Pert's first adventure, finding out who they were. I, I like in search it. of. That's right. In search I of like dad. Uh, yeah, it could be like they go into ancestry.com. Sounds exciting. Okay, so to be an elf. Minimum strength of three, maximum for males 18, so I'm obviously fine there. Intelligence 8 and 18, I'm yeah. fine there. Wisdom 3 and 18, fine there. Dex 7 and there, look, 19. You can have as high as a 19 on Dex, yeah. and you got to at least have a 7. So there's one of those things where I don't care if you don't need Dex as your elf, you're not a thief, you need to, and you got a really bad roll, you need to have at least a 7. Yeah. You're not an elf. Constitution, 6 and 18, I'm within that. And Charisma, 8 and 18, I am within that. So I've complied with all of those. And a quick note, because we didn't talk about this, and I didn't even realize they were there. When you look on the individual skills tables, Mm -hmm. ranging from page 9, starting on 9 with Strength, and going through Charisma on 13, embedded within those tables are some minimums, right? The ones like the 5, minimum to be an assassin. You need a 5... Uh, here or lower, you can only be an assassin if you have a five or lower. Um, so built into those are your minimum, some minimums and maximums too, and some that you wouldn't otherwise see on the tables, like the five or lower. You got to be something. And based on what you just showed me in the player's handbook for minimums, if you have less than a six uh, constitution, it appears you can only be a human, based on this list. Which I is find. that right? Which Running I... across the table, like every right. one of them, everybody else has to have. Yeah, so minimum constitution, 12, 6, 8, 6, 10, 13. So if you have less than a 6, you can only be a human. Wow, very, those are, see, those are things you just don't think about. Right, and I don't know, and then, like, to your point, under constitution, if you have less than a 5 constitution, you can only be an illusionist. So you can only be a human illusionist with a five constitution, or you're nothing. You're not a. You're not a five. That's why you got to pay attention that to is those. Very interesting. And we should know too that 
certain classes can be things, if they're NPCs, it's in parentheses on page 14, right? But there are dwarven clerics. Yeah. They're just non-player characters. That's right. They're not actually player characters. All right. Do you want to do your height and weight right now? Sure. Let's do it. So roll percentages. Okay. So we are back to the DMG. Right. In the back page. Right. Under the non-player character, but that's where you do it. I have a 56. 56. Uh, male... 56, you are average height, which, so then roll percentages again. 65. Okay. You basically are elf. You are 60 inches tall. So is that five feet? That's five feet, right in the Thank butt. Thank you. Five feet. All right. And now on to weight. Yep. 68. 68. Okay. Roll again percentages, because you're average. 72. 72, just okay, uh, roll d8, please. Two. You are 102 pounds. Okay. So you're slightly above average in weight by two pounds, and your, your height is average. Okay, okay. Next is uh, money, right? We normally go through that pretty quick. I brought with me support. You did? Oh, you actually brought the support this time, not just hearsay. Correct, because you doubted me. So last time... I don't think I doubted you. I just well, said... When you said I need to check on that. I, did, I was going to check on it. Certainly suggest that. Well, I think that's the standard DM answer. Like, uh, I'm going to allow it this time, but I'm going to check on it so that it ho tries to minimize tomfoolery from the players. I understand. So we talked last time about starting money for a multi-class character. It's not indicated in any of the books as to how you do that. And polyhedron and dispel confusion brought it right here. The question was, how much money does a multi-classed character start with? Answer, a multi-class character is entitled to the total starting cash for all professed classes combined. So you've acquired some piece of paper from the, that you printed off the internet. We're going, really, we're going, we're going there. Yes. And you've presented to me and saying that this is some kind of... I typed it up, made it look <laughs> legit. I'm going to allow you just from the effort, if you did that, just to get more money, you deserve that. Are we going to have to get Frank Mentzer on the phone or somebody? Is, is there yeah. some kind of chain of from when this was done? I know you were alive at that point, but do you recall getting an original copy that has the seal on it? You want a certified copy of this signed? I feel like... I feel Feel like it's oh. almost hearsay. Yeah. See, when it's when it's the chaotic neutral cleric that you're playing that gets to befriend the undead, you love to spell confusion, and right. that's definitely binding, of right. course. Right. Well, when it's me trying to get the extra cash. No, the difference was it was supporting an argument that you you were trying to figure out how to adjudicate it. Here, I had a way to adjudicate it, and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to do. But yours was incorrect, wasn't it? Which one? I well, it's I said you could do. The average of both uh, of these. Right, the incorrect way. It's not incorrect. It's it's being Excessive. simple. You're you're doing a counter argument, and I'm ex I'm allowing it because this is basically conjecture. People are just sitting there talking about it. It says it's official. Which is the next question is how do you have the power to say you're official? Can right. you just say self-proclaimed? Okay, but you're, ta you're taking on some big names there. So what is the uh, what is the take the mat? You roll both, and you get the and you no. get it. 
Wait, or do I? Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. No, you get knocked. I was well. That's the age. I was getting confused. Yes, I was gonna do the. <laughs> wait, I'm gonna read that again. What did it say? Did it say get, roll? Or did it say? Well, well, right now we have to read it again. No, I've lost this it. This podcast I've got too is going, many of these. going sideways now. A multi-class carrier is entitled to the. It just says the total starting cash. <laughs> I'm sure that means roll. What does that mean? <laughs> it means I get the max. It's like age. Age should be you. No. That should be persuasive. The age you use the max. They're obviously following the age rule. No, it says a multi-class character is entitled to the total starting cash for all possessed professed classes combined. So you roll and you get the total. So yeah, well, just because he said just because you say so doesn't make it so. All well, right, it does it, uh, no? It says total. All right, whatever. No, <sighs> we're I rolling. To, do I have to go back to the original? Text? No, I know it says roll there. We're no, rolling. I'm going we're to. We're rolling. When there's a doubt, the DM is the final arbitrator. Do I have to show you that rule again? No. Yes. You don't. I'm the DM too. That's right. All right. But only when it suits you. Correct. So, okay. All right. So you're a magic user. So I'm rolling. 2d4. Okay. And thief is 2d6. A one. Yes. <laughs> and a four. Yeah, there you go. You average. That's 50. And then okay. 2d6. Okay. Am I not? Thank you. It's down over there. A five and a six. Wow, that's wonderful. Oh, man, why didn't he roll that? Why didn't this die roll that way when I wanted to be an illusionist? That's right. Do you remember what that is? So 50 and 110 is 160 gold pieces. 160. Wow, this guy had a plus three sword. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff. This guy's a power gamer. Yeah. Plus three chainmail? He's barred. Instrument of the bards. Of course he. Wow, that goes without oh, saying. Is that like the use for tools? Who's this guy's DM? It's a Monty Hall adventure. Okay. Probably, probably Ed and Dan. Oh, did I say how that? much? How much was that? 160. 160 gold piece. Great. Right. And why I'm not too concerned about it because there's not a lot magic users and thieves can spell, except for thieves tools. Oh, now wait a sec. So okay, so I know with magic user fighters they can use armor and still cast spells. Right. Thieves and magic users. Can I wear leather armor and still cast spells? So I can. So that's very nice. The thief is, you are restricted to, thieves require you to wear the thief uh, leather or less, or or weaker armor. And I can't wear studded leather, I believe, because that's going to clank and make noise, is what generally DMs say. That's right. Okay. Generally not later, there is, I'm sure there was a ruling somewhere between that, that book that we will not remain nameless, where they have penalties if you wear studded leather. Okay, but, but so, ju- no studded leather here. Yes. And in fact, they qualified even that um, if you were without any armor, you would get bonuses. But in first edition, as the rules in the core book, uh, there's none of that. Okay. So I'll be wearing leather armor. That's right. And I can use wep- I can use these weapons, that's correct? Right. I'm not limited to the magic user that's weapons. Cr- that's right. So I can carry, I'm going to carry a short sword, which I believe I can do. Right, right? And, and there's an advantage of being an elf in using a sword. Do you recall that? I do not recall that. So, uh, so again, for swords, you may use short sword, broad sword, or long sword, but not a bastard or two-handed sword. So that's your choice. Well, I guess I should take a long sword because it's going to do more damage. And then elves, when employing a crossbow, a short, or long sword, elven characters gain a bonus of plus one to their rolls to hit. I did not know that. Okay. I've yeah. never, I don't think I've ever played an elf before. So yes, you get plus one. That's why everyone plays elves, because they get plus one to hit. Okay, great. Okay, what else shall I do? So I've got a weapon. I Obviously, I'm going to 
when we went over um, you know buying stuff right. from last time. So the let's just quickly go over the the unique items that you would need to have in your class. Sure. You mentioned components a little bit, which once you figure out your spells, you would have to figure out what components are necessary to cast those spells. But there's some other things that you have to have in order to to for Pixie to actually function as the class that he is. Right. And let me just mention real quick about spell components. There was a great article in Dragon Magazine which listed out the spell components and an approximate cost for those So, because it's not discussed at all right. in the books. So, yeah, I have to buy something called Thieves, Picks, and Tools, right. which are not insignificant in cost. I no. believe it's at 30 gold pieces. I feel like that's right there. I'm pretty sure you're. that's what it costs. Yep. 30 gold pieces. So thieves, picks, and tools are essential for a thief to perform most thieving. I mean, I should not hear noise, but thieving tasks. So you gotta, you got to have your thieving tools. So that's a 30 gold pieces hit right there. So, yep, um, I will be buying thieving picks and tools. And there's no, there's no subdivision of types of tools. Right? It's just thieves, picks, and tools, and it's assumed you've got the tools you need to engage in any of your thieving Activities, right? I, it may have been in later editions that they may have had specific items, but no, it's just a, a hodgepodge of these picks and tools. Yep. So, and you'll, you know, uh, Pixie will have to get same thing: armor, uh, boots, and a ten-foot pole. Or maybe him and Glades can decide who's going to carry the ten-foot pole and um, oil and all these other items. Right. We'll we need a light. Yeah, time. we'll need a lighting source. So I think what let's because you are a magic user, we can. The last thing I want to go over uh, that we didn't do is um, let's talk about. You did talk about the thieves' skills, and we can go over describing probably when we go in depth with each class in a later thing. Let's talk about acquiring magic user spells because that is always um, that is something that I many groups did not play appropriately or they didn't know about it um, but this is where if if you really thought first edition was difficult if you play it as it's written which I certainly would recommend a first level magic user is is a challenge and why are they challenged based on the spell acquisition from your perspective Dan they're challenged because you as the magic user are not going to unlike a cleric get to select the spells that you want to have you're going to randomly roll if I recall correctly in the DMG and I know you're looking it up in the yeah. DMG you roll you get uh, at first level you're going to get to roll for, if I recall correctly, three spells. That's right. right. You start with read magic, which we can talk about. You're going to roll one offensive spell, one defensive spell, and one miscellaneous. That's right. And, and then, and I know there's a lot of different ways to do this, and it's very confusing. Uh, but you also, when you get the potential for a spell, you're supposed to roll, I believe, right, your intelligence to see if you have the ability to learn that spell. And if you fail... Unless your intelligence goes up, you never have the ability to learn that spell. Is that correct? I, I've that's correct. I've played it different ways. Sometimes I've played it where the uh, understanding, and it's on page thirty-nine of the um, Dungeon Master's Guide. I, it's not clear here. The the in the player's handbook it says if you acquire a new spell, you have to roll to see if you're able to learn it based on your intelligence. Here it talks about. Um, you know, it's it's absolute must to anyone following the profession of magic, so that it spells automatically each character list of known spells. Um, you know, the 
the idea of that the master is giving you these spells and that you would have learned them eventually. So that again, that's a ruling. Uh, you could combine both of those and say, you know what, um, I'm going to say if you roll on these, you must learn them. But it could work to the character's advantage if you roll poorly and you roll something you don't want and then you're not able to get it, you would do that. So in your rulings, how, how have you ruled it? Because what uh, Dan and I did for our uh, mutual campaigns, we kind of came up with a joint uh, document of how we've determined things based on the description. Yeah, and my recollection is I was left confused. Okay. So different people do it different ways. People claim, oh, it's supposed to be done this way, and i got to tell you. At the end of the day, I left confused, and I think it's much ado about nothing. I think it doesn't matter what method you use. Uh, because if you're randomly rolling for your initial spells, and you're not going to roll for whether you know those spells or not, what's the problem? You've randomly rolled that spell, so there's that randomness to it. If you roll your percentage chance to know it when you once you've randomly rolled that spell, fine too. I think it's much ado about nothing. I, I think as long as you are, at least with additional spells, are rolling your percentage chance to know it, then I think you're fine. But The advantage is if you roll well on this chart and you allow for them to automatically get these spells, they don't have to roll for memorization, that's good. If it's not, then... Because, again, characters can have minimum and maximum spells that they can learn. So if you get stuck with spells that you don't want, particularly first level, the challenge is first level, there's over 30 spells. And as a 17 intelligence, you have a minimum of 8, the maximum of 14 or 16, if I recall. So that's the downside to it. So it really comes down to rolling. So I think for today, just for argue, for ease of use, we're going to say whatever you roll on this table is you get to keep them. That, they're, okay. that you've learned. And if you want, I can read it. It'll be real quick, because I, I did research on this, right? So we know that magic users are automatically going to start with the spell, read, read magic. Because right. uh, obviously, you can't be... Somebody thinks somewhere asked the question, well, what if you fail your read magic spell? You can't become a magic user. Well, it's assumed that since you are a first-level magic user, right. to go through your training, you didn't fail. Your, I guess you show up. I'm, I'm here to become a magic user. Okay. Can you learn this spell? No. no. You're out. That's right. Get out. So, so, <laughs> Go try to be an illusionist. <laughs> exactly. Which does not need read magic. Right? So, so yeah, you automatically start with read magic spell. And that's an important spell. Is it not right? Because right. you have to. I mean, the way we play it is that you have to read, you know, you have to memorize your read magic spell in order to, right, in order to be able to. Any tomes you find that are magical spells, any scrolls you find that are of magic users, you have to use read magic. And you can't just read them automatically. Exactly. And the way we play it, which we think is by the book, is that you have to memorize that read magic spell oh, in yeah. order to use it. Right. You don't just, just because you automatically have read magic when you start your character, having your spell book, does not mean you don't have to memorize it like any other spell. Yeah, it's, to not, use it. it's not a, I'll use the term, cantrip or something that you can just evoke at any moment. Absolutely. Right. Okay, so uh, in addition, the magic user receives a random offensive spell, a random defensive spell, and a random miscellaneous spell. Uh, the magic user does not. So this comes. So so now we're getting into some of my research. This is from Dispel Confusion. Our, our, oh, well, our, now our, it's gospel. Now. Polyhedron num is number one. Oh, okay. The magic user does not roll for chance to learn spells until he or she comes across a new spell. Perfect. That's it. But I think things get confusing. I then have down here. If a magic user blows his or her chance to know a particular spell, the only way to acquire it is to find a scroll with the spell, and if she knows the right spell, she can study it and cast it without understanding it fully or wait until intelligence changes due to aging or it changes due to high-powered magic. I, I think the, that was one thought, and you went to the next thought. 
Yeah, that's the way I'm going to read would read that. That yeah. you basically ended one and you started. Correct. I'm sorry. That is correct. That is correct. Um, and then, uh, well, that's all I have. So yeah. maybe it wasn't as confusing as I, I mean, you know what I probably did was things that I thought were confusing I ditched. And so since polyhedron says you don't roll for a chance to learn spells, it comes across a new spell. That's I it. said, okay, I'm going with that. So, yeah, the rest of that was not creating yeah. any more confusion. I obviously right. jettisoned that stuff. So you get read magic. I get read so magic. So you, you want to, on your offensive spells, you roll a d10. Okay. And My peak? Yeah, well, you want a 10. Choose, or a 9, sleep. Well, a 10, 9 I, or 10. You know, I like rolling. Yeah. Because... You, I, it forces the character to be creative. You may recall one of my characters when I played a cleric. I randomly rolled for which spells I were going to uh, right to, to learn that day. A nine. nine. There you go. Sleep. That's a great spell. All Probably right. your this character went from being meh to actually being useful. Exactly. So you have sleep, defensive spells, an eight. eight, spider climb. That sounds you know not horrible. You'll. I mean, I'm a thief, so I already can kind of climb. So but you could help glades climb. If you had to climb together. Oh, is that true? Can I cast spider climb with somebody else? I, I believe you can. Okay, I'm going to go, look to go it into that. So, all right, well, I'll roll while you're looking at it. And, yeah. and erase. Erase. Hmm. Well, it's. I mean, it's not mending, but, you know, one day. What is erase? Erases memory? Is that what it I does? think it erases. I'm not. Yeah, I think it erases the last memory of someone has. Okay, but sleep is the great offense because there's no saving throw. Oh, I'm sorry. Erase removes writings from either magical, mundane nature. From a score one to two pages of sheets. Yeah, you'll be using that all the time. Oh, it, that more than sleep. <laughs> okay, so and that's what makes these spells so they go from the benign to like sleep, where you can take out up to sixteen kobolds in one fell swoop for five minutes. They would be sleeping, and you change the thing to you could erase two pages out of a out of a book. Hey, you never know. Could be useful. It could be. Okay, so I've rolled up. I've rolled so hit my points would be the last thing hit I think points. we need to do to, at, for this for this uh, event. And I, and, I, and and so my understanding is, as a multi class character, I get the maximum of each die. Is that correct? No, that's, no, that's not, not correct. right. No, that that's would wrong. be that would that would be some other game that we're playing. Uh, this that'd is, be one point five, I think. Is yes, that, is that down earth a canter roll? Uh, I'm, I think it's a house rule of power gaming. So no, okay. you get to roll a d four and a d six. Okay, what can go wrong here? And you get to divide those, and you do not get. I a have an eleven con. So, so how get, many extra hit points do I get? Uh, you get a total of zero extra. Got it. Okay. A one and a two. I'm rounding up. Thank goodness. Yes, you are rounding up. So where I see I make a one point five joke and what yes. are my hit points? One point five. That's right. So you get two. Two, hit, two points. hit points. All right. Pixie. I think this is so wonderful and exciting that your pixie has two hit points. Pixie. No, not my pixie. Well, pixie. Pixie. Not my because that would be confusing. Yeah, it's I'm pixie. Not a pixie. Your, your character pixie. That'd be I think spellbinder. You could do a pixie. Oh yeah. It has two hit points. All right. It's right in the front. Thank Don't, you. Right. There it is. There it is. Two. And I yes I see that and I have as. I'm wearing leather armor, mm-hmm. which I believe is an eight armor class. That's right. Base. I have a dex of only thirteen, so my AC is going to be eight, eight. with is, two hit points, which is better than ten with two hit points. <laughs> so if you were, no, all kidding aside, as a straight magic user, you have two hit points with a, a, an eight armor class. You'd be in pretty good shape because typically they're not able to wear anything. That's true. Yeah, you so, could you could very easily be ten with one. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so pixie spellbinder. Oh, I like one one last thing I wanted to raise. Okay. Is that I have a cleric, and my understanding is that I need to have a deity. Right. 
And what I read in the Deities and Demigods book is that for clerics, your deity's alignment must be the same as the player character's mm-hmm. alignment. The Dungeon Master's Guide had some reference to it doesn't necessarily dictate the alignment of the cleric, the deity's alignment. So I got to tell you, I'm a little confused about that. I mean, the way I read that is generally you should be. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. So now, because I can't go off adventuring with this cleric without having, I think it's a bad idea to go off adventuring without a deity designated. Do I need to pick a deity that has the same alignment? And the reason why I raise this issue is I brought something called the Best of Dragon, Mm -hmm. Volume 3. That's right. It has, and we referenced it last time, one of the things it has in here is it includes the points of view articles by Roger Moore, which I think are great. If you're going to play a demi-human, so I'm going to be an elf here, I think I should read up on elves to play an elf the way an elf would generally be. And it also has additional deities, and I think they're great. But I noticed that it looks like just about all if not all, of the deities of the elves are, that's what I wanted to do, are chaotic good. Not surprisingly, because elves tend to be chaotic good. Right. I'm neutral good. So I'm willing to change. Now, what, the only thing I would say is if it says uh, worshiper line and says see below, it, ha- it may have some description into the deity. So you probably will need to look that over. Because w- one of the things that deities and demigods said is the worshiper's alignment is generally broad. So I'm a cleric. Right. I'm not just any worshiper. Right. So worshiper could be broader, but cleric should be the same. So I'm thinking I should change. Can I change alignment? You, of course. Because I wanna, I wanna, I don't wanna have any sort of trouble. Right. With with my well, deity. Well, we could do some review with that, but if you feel more comfortable changing the alignment to fit with your deity, I have no problem. And you know what? This is going to reduce alignment tension. Right. So Glade Leaf Trotter is now. Chaotic. He's gonna. He's gonna have neutral tendencies. Oh, the fighter's down. Fighter's Everyone, down. Have I no, damaged okay. any of your? No, the figs are fine. They're they're tough. They're they're used to being felled by a forty foot uh, creature slamming on it. It's good. It's very one e. That's right. The party's dead. The party got smashed by <laughs> something horrible. Yeah. See, they didn't make their dex check. Okay, so I'm going to worship Solanor Thalandera. Uh huh. The god of archery and hunting. Nice. And so I'm going to have to read up on him and make sure that I comply with, you know, I'm supposed to sacrifice monthly hunting trophies and the holy day is a full moon. I'm going to take that stuff seriously. Okay. Because I'm a cleric. Yeah, I think what we'll do for maybe in the next, not next session, the session after, we'll do a quick run through of the game so you can. Uh, and we'll do a quick uh, play of the game with a this quick adventure so you, we can show how these characters work. They want to adventure. That's right. I've got rolled them up. They're ready to go. That's pretty much, yeah. You'll, sick you'll of pay- oh, I didn't do secondary skill. Oh, my goodness. Because that's, you know... Right, that's how you get your backstory. You know what would be great? If I rolled Painter, Limner. Again, they're both Painters. Well, that would that's be- how they met. Right. Wouldn't that be great? That would be... All right, we'll get your percentages out while I look up... Uh, I'm sure it's... Here, it's in the front somewhere, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's pretty early on. Oh, I there see it. it. There's page, that table. Are you ready? 12, yeah. Let's see what happens. 24. 24. Well, you're a hunter fisher of hook and line. Great. All right. Hunt- I commissioned a hunting picture. Right. 
And what happened was, of course, well, you can imagine what Glade produced. You were more interested in the fishing. She went for the hunting. Yes. And when I saw what had been painted, I was disturbed yet intrigued. Right. And then I'm like, look, this is clearly not your thing. Right. We should go off and... An adventure. That's our, That's how we met. He commissioned. I, I like that. A because he has so much money because he's multi-classed. Well, yeah, and the the obviously the the economy of this world is all jacked up because these guys have so much money. Yeah. So yes, you are a hunter fisher. Perfect. All right, hunter fisher. Hunter fisher. So all right, we are we are ready with that. I think this is a good stopping point. Um, until uh, next time. This is, we'll be signing off. This is uh, James. This is Dan. Uh, We'll see you next time on Grog Talk. This has been a Bushy Puppy production. All rights reserved.